Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's coming to you from Cincinnati. We had a fabulous first day of the PFF Draft Show. I hope you all check that out on pff.com. We are not done, though. We'll be back with rounds two and three on Friday, which I guess we're recording this on Friday, but you're listening to it on Friday, so it's all good. <laughs> also, Saturday and Sunday shows as well. As always, almost always, I am joined by PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Andrew, happy... Uh, Happy draft night. We did it, man. We got the round one. Yes, we did. It was a blast. It was just finally great to just see some of these players laying with teams so we can start figuring things out, projecting things forward for the 21 se- 2021 season. So I'm loving it, man. I'm all hyped up. I'm usually, I'm usually passed out at this time, but I'm all hyped up. I took smelling salts before the draft started. I finished my Red Bull about 15 minutes ago, recording this at 12.30. I am ready to talk the draft, Andrew, <laughs> particularly. Again, I, I like to you know not go into my personal endeavors too much, but uh, this one makes fun of me a little bit so we can get through it. So today, PFF Draft Show, I, we all got makeup on and all that, which is a you know not something I'm regularly used to doing. Makeup lady, very kind, very helpful, uh, tells me that you know I have an awful lot of red on my cheeks and my lips. And she said, that's from sunburn. I said, you're right. I'm getting tanned this year. First time ever. She said, Ian, you are never going to get tanned. You are far too white. So Andrew, unfortunately I've learned today, I'm not going to get tanned, but on a happier note, we have learned finally where all these guys are going to be going, man. We have been basically trying different ways to break down this draft class (laughs) for the better part of the last two, three months. And now we finally have it. Andrew, I want to start off with the quarterbacks. Five of them were selected. First overall, obviously, Trevor Lawrence. We saw Zach Wilson go number two to the Jets. Trey Lance went number three of the 49ers, not Mac Jones. Like Twitter was ready to have an uproar about. The Bears went ahead and traded up to 11 to get Justin Fields and arguably the best and just most exciting pick of the entire draft, I'd say, so far. And finally, Mac Jones, the Patriots at pick 15. So, Andrew, where would you rank these quarterbacks just in a fantasy format strictly for 2021? So, for me, I think that I really – it's really – I really want to rank Trey Lance first. Honestly, I think that's my inclination. That was kind of my initial reaction to it would be to rank him first, just based on the fact that if these guys are all starting the same amount of games, if, if we can assume that Trey Lance gets to start, then I think that he's the clear number one because of the rushing upside that he offers is the best out of the entire class. And then you're inserting him into the Shanahan offense, which has just produced fantasy gold for passers you know yards per attempt since 2014 jimmy garoppolo and nick mullins are both top five like <laughs> so 
I think that the Lance landing spot was the biggest mover for me in terms of, because that's what we didn't really know. We were all speculating. We kind of knew Trevor Lawrence, we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be a Jaguar. So all of the projections that we had with him already were kind of in that in mind, but Trey Lance, it's, it's a home run where he, where he ended up. So if we get more, if we get more information about the Garoppolo thing, if he gets traded, then I got no problem putting Lance as, as the number one quarterback. That's the million dollar question. Cause again, we've seen seven rookie QB ones since 2010, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, RG three, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, most recently, Justin Herbert, Herbert helped buck this trend, but the common trend between those first six guys were they all started in week one and they average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Lance is one of the most dual threat friendly quarterbacks we've seen come out in a long time. He's in that Jalen hurts Lamar Jackson mold, not necessarily saying he's as good as those guys, particularly not Lamar, but he just has that run first mentality that is so fancy friendly from the quarterback position. I mean, my, our own Mike Renner, gave Trey Lance the comp in our uh, PFF draft guide, you know, Taysom Hill with actual arm talent. And we all saw as bad as Taysom Hill looked playing quarterback last year, how good he was when he actually got out there, just in terms of fantasy people, you do not need to be a good real life quarterback to be a good fantasy quarterback. I'm not saying Lance can't be great, man. You said it best case landing spot for him and really any quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo leads the NFL and yards per attempt on passes thrown behind a line of scrimmage over the past three years. Like that's what playing in a Kyle Shanahan offense can do for you. I'm with you. Trey Lance, the second he gets to start, he's going to be my QB one, but uh, this class, but man, I'm not sure that's guaranteed because this is maybe the one quarterback that could have gone to Sam Fran where we should be a little bit concerned about how quickly they can beat out Jimmy G. This kind of goes with their, you know, I know Shanahan and Lynch weren't exactly being too open uh, before the draft. They were keeping the pick close to the vest. Obviously, we had no idea what was going on, but they did say that they still see Jimmy G as part of the future. Ian Rapport today came out and said there's not really you know, much going for them in terms of trying to trade them the Patriots. I am concerned about how quickly Trey Lance get on the field. I could see it being more of like a Jalen Hurts situation where once he's out there, he's a QB one. I'm just not sure that's going to happen within the first month or two of the season. With that in mind, Andrew, I think we got to go Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence though. I mean, it's just a situation where he is going to be starting Trevor Lawrence, better real life prospect. But again, we just need to realize we're playing fantasy football, not real life football. And Fields just offers a higher rushing floor. Agreed. I think that, and maybe people will be off of the landing spot. I know the bears, I mean, the bears, they have a stigma about the team where it's like, Oh, like the bears, they're not good. And look, Justin Fields, would I have liked him to land with Carolina or Denver? Hell yeah. Yeah. I would have loved him seen him with more weapons, Big yes. Big yes. but he's still got at least Allen Robinson. So that's good. And you know, Allen Robinson, man, here we go. Best quarterback he's ever played with in his entire career. Ooh. And since he started playing football, Kudos to him. Back to the wide receiver one status. Absolutely love it. But it's definitely close between Fields and Lawrence. But I think ultimately you're going to see more rushing from Fields, especially if there are receivers that aren't getting open. So he's going to have to take off and run. They're both like borderline QB ones. I mean, it's, it's going to be like how everyone, you know, was giving me crap for ranking Cam Akers over Jonathan Taylor, even though like one was RB10, one was RB11. <laughs> like that's what I see happening here with Fields and Lawrence. I don't have a huge uh, difference in opinion on them, but I do think Fields uh, would be the guy to get the nod from me at this point in time. Remember people uh, doing this after a hell of a lot of caffeine in the system. So take it with a slight grain of salt. We still do have a uh, three more months until drafts really start heating up. Man, Zach Wilson. So. 
I wrote articles on every single uh, first round quarterback, running back, wide receiver uh, drafted. So make sure you check those out on pff.com. Also, Andrew and uh, the fantasy guys have a nice tracker going that will continue to be updated throughout rounds uh, two, three and beyond. So make sure you keep an eye on those for more coherent thoughts on the matter. But Zach Wilson, man, my big takeaway with him, I'm buying a little bit into the idea he could be a bust. I'm not writing them off yet. We've seen this. Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, all these quarterbacks that have been labeled a bust before they take an NFL snap. We've seen them still be fine and fancy. And I think that could be okay with Wilson, which is why I just think he's he and the Jets, man, they're like the not the best, obviously not the best in pretty much anything, but a great late round best ball stack. You don't need to even build your entire roster around the Jets because they're all so freaking cheap. We can get Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, you know, fingers crossed Javante Williams if they end up taking a running back at some point in this draft. And Zach Wilson, all in the later, you know, 10 plus rounds uh, stretch. So Zach Wilson, you know, he's going to probably be outside of my top 20 QBs. I just don't like we've known he's going to the Jets for over a month and he's still sitting as the QB 26 and underdog ADP. It's a situation, Andrew, where like, yeah, I'm not going to go out of my way to draft Lance um, to excuse me to draft Wilson. But right now he's being priced at his floor. Yeah, he's not he's not expensive at all. And I think that it's because people are smart and they realize that his profile does have a lot of bust potential on it. Look, if you're going to pick one of these five quarterbacks who would is most likely to bust, and you're not even looking at, you know, who has the highest upside or you it's, it's Wilson. Yeah. Like, and again, you could argue him versus Jones. Okay. Mac Jones probably is a safer floor. It's probably a safer projection because he's played a higher competition at the college level. But the thing with Wilson too, look, the guy never faced pressure at BYU. Like he just never did in the jets. Look last year, <laughs> the two most pressured quarterbacks were as follows Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold <laughs> who both played for the New York jets. Now the jets know that that's why they, traded up to draft one of the premier offensive linemen in this draft with Elijah Vera Tucker. So they're trying to patch the offensive line, which is smart of them. So again, it, will the jets be the worst offensive line in the league next year? I don't know. Probably not. They're, they're looking to make improvements, but again, he's going to be pressured more, which is just another red flag in his profile. And I think I just would rather chase the upside with any of these other rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. Again, Lance, if there's mystique, around if he's starting or not that's going to cause him to not necessarily rise up the boards but look man i did this whole thing with tyrod taylor and friggin justin herbert last year and i was like yeah tyrod taylor is gonna be the starter took one week one lung puncture and he was out and justin herbert was in one rookie of the year so uh yeah I, i'm just gonna be all over trey lance yeah w one of my favorite tweets from a night that was full of great tweets was from pff's own uh kent Wyrosh. did i say that name wrong yeah yeah how you say it Wyrosh. Oh, I got it right then. Come on, Andrew. Yeah. Give me some. Kent Wyrosh <laughs> tweets, Zach Wilson looks like he threatens litigation after getting sacked. It's just really tickled me. And man, that, that is a uh, pretty damn good one. So kudos to you, Kent. But yeah, look, among this group, Zach Wilson is fourth in rushing yards per game. He's not immobile by any stretch. Like there is a, you know, 10 tiers of a drop off between him and Mac Jones, believe me. But uh, he isn't someone that I think can hold up as physically if he's going to try to run a lot. And I just don't think that's really his mindset. Again, that's good. I don't think the Jets made a mistake necessarily taking him number two. If I was running the Jets, I would have gone Justin Fields. But I don't think, you know, they're in a different stratosphere. I understand the upside. I'm just not going to be taking major chances out of in fantasy football. But like I said, man, anytime we can get players closer to their floor than ceiling, those are the types of values we should be attacking. Last thoughts on Matt Jones. I'm going to make the fantasy part of this real quick. Do not draft him, people. 
Think about the best case scenario we had for Mac Jones. That was going to the 49ers, immediately getting the job and just doing, you know, his best Jimmy G impersonation. Jimmy G was the QB 23 in fantasy points per game in 2019 when everything went right. 27 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, loaded skill position groups. If you don't run the football in fantasy at quarterback and you're not Aaron freaking Rodgers throwing for 40 plus touchdowns, you're pretty much useless. Mac Jones had 42 rushing yards and 30 career games at Alabama. I understand you lose rushing yards from taking sacks, but come on, man. Justin Fields went 44 yards against Michigan State, juking out three guys along the way. That was more yards than Mac Jones had his entire career. So, hey, Mac Jones might be fantastic. You know, maybe Bill Belichick got himself his next quarterback of the decade. I just cannot stress enough how out on him I am in fantasy football. Now, Andrew, quickly let me know if you agree. But as a resident New England Patriots fan of this podcast, let me know how you feel on Mac Jones. Because I will say, I mean, Mac Jones, number three, that was always insane to me. Mac Jones at pick 15, I, I can get behind that a little more. He definitely went where he probably was supposed to go the entire time. Yeah, like going 15 was, you know, back when I had written an article about the Patriots, you know, fixing the offense. I, you know, I referred back to it and I wrote about it. And I was like, hey, at 15, Mac Jones will probably be there. Like he'll be an option for them to look for a replacement for Cam Newton. And this is what happened. Exactly what happened like that. Mac Jones at 15 for the New England Patriots. I think you you explained it all with the rushing. He doesn't have it. Like, that's just not a thing. And for him to be a fantasy factor, he has to either throw a ton or become one of the league's most efficient passers. And just assuming a rookie that's going to do that as the fifth quarterback draft, it's just there's those expectations are way too lofty, especially in his first season. Could he become that? Sure. But look, there are plenty of seasons where Tom Brady wasn't a barn burner in terms of fantasy football. Like he was okay, but he was never, he had a couple those, the pocket passers have those spike seasons, but it's not nearly as consistent as guys that offer the mobility. I mean, look at it. Aaron Rodgers last year, he was terrible in fantasy. And then he come back this year and he throws for 40 plus touchdowns. So Yes, I agree with you out on Mac Jones. One thing I will say, though, about Mac Jones being the quarterback there is this this injects life into the pass-catching units for the Patriots because less running from Cam Newton means more passing attempts. So, like, Nelson Aguilar, like, I'm yeah. way more interested yeah. in now. Uh, the tight ends, John New Smith, Hunter Henry. You know, one of Jones' major strengths is as an underneath passer. Super accurate just accuracy in general. Like that's the thing that Cam Newton didn't have last year, just missing throws left and right. That's not something Mac Jones is going to do. He's going to be able to throw the ball. And Damian Harris comes back from the dead because now he can score freaking touchdowns. Oh, that's like, true. like that guy had no shot last year because Cam Newton would score every single touchdown on the goal line. Not the case. And Damian Harris was he, I think he was PFF's third highest graded rusher last season. So he's someone that, a lot of people have forgotten about and rightfully so because of Cam Newton being the quarterback, but with Mac Jones under center, again, we talk about the mobile quarterbacks and how they're bad for rushing and for running backs. Okay. Mac Jones, an e-bubble quarterback. That means running backs are going to be targeted in the passing game, which is something that we saw Tom Brady do a lot. So James white, Damian Harris, like Damian Harris is really sneaky right now. And I'm really intrigued by him. Yeah, look, I, I am a massive Cam Newton stan, always have been. I, I don't think he starts in week one, unfortunately. I think he'll maybe put up a decent battle, but look, if they wanted to give Cam another chance, we would have seen a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, or there would have been more of an effort to get a similar dual threat quarterback. Yeah. Look at look at who the Ravens backed up Lamar Jackson with RG3. Like you don't put completely different skill set quarterbacks in the system. The first round QB is going to be the guy to get to go there. Great point on Nelson Aguilar. 
I'm still skeptical that tight ends can get it done. Again, we've only seen Ertz and Goddard in, I think, 2018, and then also Gronk and uh, he who should not be named back earlier in the decade. Both function as fantasy tight end ones uh, in the same season. So history is against them. With that said, we haven't really seen two tight ends that good uh, on the same team in quite a while. So at a minimum, we can get excited about the Patriots passing game again. And to your point, maybe even one of these running backs. We'll see if Sony Michelle is completely out of the picture. But hey, man, if we can get Damon Harris as the early down guy and James White passed down. That's fine. We don't have Cam Newton taking, you know, 20 goal line carries anymore. So arrow certainly pointing up for Damian Harris uh, moving on. So Jamar Chase went number five to the Bengals. I was happy to catch his, uh, I think his over under was like five and a half. The second I saw him rocking those Bengals shoes, man, I <laughs> threw down like five units on that. And I was like, man, pretty ill-advised decision there, Ian, but it happened to uh, work out in this uh, chase uh, pun. Absolutely intended. Uh, Andrew, where would you rank Jamar Chase around and why is it kind of in that wide receiver 25 to 30 range? Because T Higgins was my wide receiver 26 and I put him <laughs> ahead of T Higgins. So he's at wide receiver 25 because that's the thing. If I'm going to rank these guys, I'm going to rank Chase first. I'm going to rank him over Higgins. I'm going to rank him over Boyd and their target shares are probably going to be pretty flat across the board. That's kind of how it was last year with AJ Green Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. And that's kind of how we should view it. But because there are so many of them, it's going to probably make them all pretty decent values when it comes down to it, because none of them are going to stand out in a projection as, Oh, well, he's clearly going to be the guy, but I don't know if we really need the guy because this offense is going to throw so damn much with the Bengals next year. So I just want to leave a, leave a draft with a Bengals receiver. And I, I guess I don't really care who it is. I guess, I would probably prefer, I think Boyd's probably the safest because his role is probably not going to change that much. Higgins ceiling maybe is limited now more with Jamar Chase and obviously Chase is the ultimate upside play because of his, he's a freak and the connection with Burrow is already built in. It's almost like a discount version of the Cowboys. I mean, I, I know Burrow's yeah. not going to be as efficient as Dak, but truly he was number one in the NFL in dropbacks last year. That Bengals defense, even if they make some strides, they're not going to be anything resembling average. I would find I would find that hard to believe. So we're just going to have a situation where, yes, three, we could have three fantasy relevant wide receivers. And I understand CJ Uzelma was doing his thing early on, but no, when you add freaking Burrows, probably still BFF. We knew it was his BFF in 2019 to the equation. I am with you. He should be the number one wide receiver. Uh, with the Bengals we were talking I think it was last week we we're doing you know some series on you know what veterans could really be impacted negatively from this and yeah T Higgins Tyler Boyd not great man they're still good values and I hope their ADP sinks down yeah. and we can get them uh you know in that range but right now guys if you're doing these best balls and underdog and stuff you're gonna see some inflation from guys like that so Chase you know he was the one kind of rookie wide receiver that I wasn't landing uh much before the draft because he was already being priced pretty much here here he is now. It's legit, and I think it's a reasonable position. So Jamar Chase uh, wasn't someone I was willing to chase because I wasn't positive he would go to the Bengals. You know, obviously Sewell was a, a decent uh, chance to land there as well. But right now, I do think he deserves to be high-end wide receiver three at worst. Andrew, before Chase went, we had Kyle Pitsko, the Falcons, at number four. We have talked about him at length. I think we agreed that he is our tight end six entering next year, just ahead of Dallas Goddard for however long Zach Ertz remains on the roster, uh, which, you know, that trade will ever freaking happen. Come on, man. But uh, I guess the question here with Kyle Pitts, Andrew, do we even care if Julio leaves? That's been floated out there. First of all, just quick tangent. I did not call the Julio contract horrible. There was a national NFL reporter who should not, 
I won't name, but like you can't call a great player's contract horrible. You're paying the guy a lot of money to be a great player. And Julio Jones has been an exceptional player his entire career. I know he was banged up last year, but just a little bit careful, uh, more careful warden there would be great. Not a team friendly deal is fine, but it's not a horrible contract. Julio Jones is a great player. He earned that contract. <laughs> so with that off my chest, Andrew, like let's say Julio leaves. Would you really be bumping Kyle Pitts up that much? I think that I, I would put him probably ahead of Mark Andrews. I yeah. think that's oh. probably where I, I, because I think, I mean, Hawkinson right now, dude, like Hawkinson is, is elite tight end. All the targets. Like, <laughs> because they didn't take another receiver. So now if they draft one in the second round, okay, it's a less talented guy. I mean, Hawkinson should, I'm going to have so much TJ Hawkinson this year. It's <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a mess. And that's the thing. If, if, if Pitts is going ahead of Hawkinson, like I'll probably be out because Hawkinson is so locked in to so much volume in that offense and it's his third year. So this is like the typical tight end. This is the year that we see him take that step. And TJ Hawkinson's like, look, Cal Pitts is a freak, but like TJ Hawkinson was also top 10 pick too. So I'm really excited about him, but I think Pitts, yeah. Over Dallas Goddard, they just added another pass catcher. So they added more competition at the position at the position or not at the position, but just as a, another receiver and look, Jalen hurts. There's not a lot of passing volume in that offense. And the same thing can be said for the Ravens. They just added another pass catcher as well. Not a lot of passing volume. You need targets. Like It's so important. And Kyle Pitts, yes, he's competing for targets with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, but I know that the offense is going to throw a lot. And then I think that if Julio has gone, then I think it just it's an easy way to just lock him in the top five. Hayden Hurst might be the only starting tight end in the league where Pitts might be the best blocker at the position right now. And I'm not saying Pitts is even awful at that part of the game. The guy's that good of a receiver. Why, why should Florida leave him in the block? I mean, it'd be irresponsible by them uh, to have done that. And he's also, I believe, still 21. So, I mean, he certainly has a long way to go there. Look, they drafted this guy number four freaking overall. First non-QB selected. He's going to be out there early and often. I'm excited to see what Kyle Pitts can do at the NFL level. You hinted at this, Andrew. We got a bunch of first round receivers that I'm just not really excited about man Devonte Smith went number 10 the Giants ruining my uh, over 11 and a half proclamation <laughs> uh, Jalen Waddle went number six the Dolphins uh, Tony went or Kadarius Tony went number 20 uh, and Rashad, and Rashad Bain went 27 uh, to the Ravens so um, man Andrew I just feel like every single one of these situations it's a crowded offense and it just doesn't have all that much upside excuse me Tony on the uh, New York Giants I think I messed up Devontae Smith went to the Philadelphia Eagles sorry everyone 12:51 in the morning <laughs> I'm trying my point all these offenses I mean you just look at the quarterbacks Tua Hurts Daniel Jones Lamar Jackson I don't think any of them are bad, but at the same time, we don't have any evidence of these quarterbacks enabling multiple fantasy relevant wide receivers, not even like to say one high end receiver. I mean, we haven't even really seen that out of them. We got Devontae in an Eagles offense that is pretty wide open. And if we had to just stack these receivers up and say who should get the most targets, I would lean towards Devontae Smith, but you know, just not overly sold on Hurts. I guess I would rank Devontae the first out of these guys, just because to me, the Giants, the Dolphins and the Ravens have far 
far more competition in their wide receiver rooms. I mean, the Tony pick in particular is just, you know, puzzling to me. I wonder if he's going to be almost more of a gadget guy, which, hey, you shouldn't be drafting gadgets in the first round. Not even necessarily because I don't think he can start, but Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, and Darius Slayton, I mean, those aren't, you know, you're just typical trash incumbent receivers to be trying to overcome. Same thing with Bateman, Bateman with Hollywood and Watkins and a run first offense. And Waddle, you're looking at a situation with Parker and Fuller and him. So, Andrew, man, any of these guys stick out? Because right now, like, if they fall to me and they're there at value, I'm fine. But I just don't see myself really chasing any of these guys. So I'll start with the most egregious pick, and that was definitely Kadarius Tony. When that pick happened, I almost – I just, like, threw up my mouth. I was like, dude, this is this is awful. But, look, somebody – had to take a risk on Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony was the the first round receiver that I was least excited about. He just has a ton of red flags on his profile from his production to his late breakout. So to see him go to an, a basically the worst landing spot, I would I would argue, just kind of makes it really easy for me to be like, all right, well, all right, uh, no Kadarius Tony for me this year. I think you should be totally out on Kadarius Tony. It doesn't make any sense to chase him whatsoever again like you mentioned like gadget receiver like yeah like that's the exactly the thing and now he's playing but i mean what is he gonna be like the fourth option on the team so that makes no sense to go after a guy like Kadarius stone again it's good for daniel jones and you know add another weapon but i would have much preferred i think i was doing a live show when the pick happened i was like yeah giants on their clock they got to go with christian darisaw right here like get a tackle get some offensive line help and then they draft friggin Kadarius tony gadget the complete opposite of a hog molly like, what are you doing? Look, we just talked about the Falcons and the Bengals. Some offenses can enable multiple fantasy relevant wide receivers. The reigning 31st ranked scoring offense with Daniel Jones, who threw 12, 12 touchdowns last year with Jason Garrett coming back. I have no confidence in the in them getting Tony going. Bateman, same thing, man. And not even against him. Like he, I know he's been, you know, one of the more popular kind of non-top one, uh, two or three receivers in this draft. But man, just anyone to the Ravens, it's just going to be really tough for him to see the sort of volume he needs. He might be better than Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins at this point, but we've never seen Lamar really enable a high-end receiver. Marquise Brown a little bit last year. I just think in any situation where you're looking at, you know, a best case target total of what, like 80 or 90, even that's probably stretching it, probably going to be fading that. Are you with me? Devontae over Waddle, not as a player, but just as in terms of a fantasy producer this year i think it's close i actually think it's really close because i think that Devonte is going to probably be more of a ppr guy so someone that gets a lot of receptions because again i don't know how much competition there really is going to be in that offense obviously jalen rager is there from the first round last season so i like that and again we look we like hurts a lot but Hertz did struggle as a passer last year. And then Waddle, Waddle's really interesting because yeah, you, the, the, the receiving room is crowded in Miami, but I guess I don't know like how good it really is. Like Devonte Parker wasn't really as good as he was the year before. He was much better with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, Will Fuller's obviously a beast, but we'll see what his role is with, with Tua and you know, Tua has established rapport with Jalen Waddle. I think it's kind of close between Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. You know, Waddle might have more spike weeks just because that really fits his game more. And I mean, I liked Waddle more going into the draft anyway. So if it's a tie, I'm still probably going to lean towards Waddle. Um, and then with the Ravens thing, I guess the thing with Rashad Bateman is Lamar Jackson has never really had a receiver like him before. So I guess that's one thing that kind of works in his favor. When I look at all these receivers the only one that's attached to a passer that's been above efficient before has been Lamar Jackson so that's at least one thing that we know that okay if it's going to be limited volume 
we know that at least Lamar Jackson has shown in the past that he can be an above average efficient passer, which would benefit a guy like Rashad Bateman, who Lamar Jackson really hasn't had, you know, Marquise Brown's been speedster. Mark Andrews has been the tight end, but he's never really had a true alpha, which could kind of be like Rashad Bateman. So I think that the consensus is going to be like, Oh, well, Rashad Bateman, like he's going to suck, whatever. And if it's enough of a dip, I'll probably be interested in buying it. That's fair. As always, we hate ADPs. We do not hate players. And it's a good point with Lamar. I mean, that is the other side of the coin with these guys like this. Every single one of these wide receivers, even if I don't love their landing spots, because now it's more crowded and fancy land, like it's objectively better for each of these quarterbacks. I mean, you know, we've we, we, we've had plenty of laughs already about Jalen Hurts being this year's, you know, late round QB. That's actually a middle round QB. That stands. Got him, you know, a former uh, college, uh, college weapon, former college teammate from back in the day. That's fantastic. Waddle, I mean, Tua, he's looking like a legit late round signal caller. I and mean, I saw someone tweet out the receivers like he was dealing with in week 15 last year. Yeah. It was a complete joke, everybody. Like even Devontae Parker, I know he wasn't as good last year, but he was playing through the pain for a lot of that as well. Uh, Daniel Jones, like, I know I just kind of crapped on him like five minutes ago, but uh, I mean, I remember before this year, like ESPN's Matthew Barry was saying Daniel Jones was his, you know, guy. And I know it didn't work out. But we've all had plenty of picks that don't work out. His reasoning behind it was simple. I mean, in 2019, only Lamar Jackson had more 30 point fantasy games than Daniel Jones. Now we did not see that same sort of ceiling last year. We just saw him demonstrate some pretty good rushing floor, but man, if we can get anywhere close to that ceiling again, combined with that newfound rushing floor, we'll be looking at that sort of, uh, you know, late QB two that we should be attacking in fantasy land and adding, you know, uh, a guy like Tony that, okay, can at least maybe, you know, make those pop passes worth uh, more than, you know, what old man golden Tate was doing last year. Plus Kenny Galladay. I do think it makes sense if Daniel Jones takes a step forward, you know, we'll see how the ADP shake out. I'm not going to tell you to actively be going for uh, DJ, but you got to go for D I, I, I'm telling people to go for DJ wow. over to DJ or Tua. Oh man, I like them both as, as late round guys. They're I guess good late um, round QBs. Yeah. I guess I'll go with uh I'll go with Daniel Jones. I think that the Giants defense isn't as good as the Dolphins. That's a good call. Okay. Yeah. More shootouts. He, and Daniel Jones has, has that D gap. He just he has that D gaff to him a little bit. So it's true. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about the defense. That's a good call, Andrew. All right. Last main draft point, we had Travis Etienne go number 25 to Jaguars, Najee Harris go number 24 to the Steelers. So interesting quotes from Urban Meyer, to say the least. We'll be starting with uh, Etienne. Basically saying they have a one-two punch with James Robinson and Carlos Hyde, and Etienne is going to be their third down back. Andrew, I think we just heard Urban Meyer's first coach speak. I am excited to potentially get a discount on Etienne. Not going crazy, but I think right now, man, he deserves to be in that low end RB2 range. You know, I've been pounding the table for Raheem Mostert throughout this offseason, but I would take ETN over Mostert because he's going to catch passes, people. And as we've explained in this podcast, like, no, it doesn't make sense you're awarded a full point in PPR settings for catching a pass. That's the game we play. So ETN, even if he's not going to get the potential 300 plus touches that Najee Harris is going to get, like if he gets that sort of Alvin Kamara role where it's like 150, even, you know, Austin Eckler role, 150, 175 carries with the 60 to 80 targets, man, we could be talking. And ETN, you know, I, I've talked on this podcast about him not looking as explosive uh, his last season, but with that said, he really did show out more as a receiver. I mean, as I was, you know, really studying his film a little bit more yesterday dude was lining up you know on the outside running double moves against boston college looking smooth as hell doing it and getting to play with his former collegiate qb man 
it's not the Jets, it's not the Steelers, it's not the Falcons, but, you know, the Jaguars and Dolphins and I'd say 49ers were kind of like that second tier of teams for an RB to go. How are you feeling about ETN and the Jaguars? So I, I like the discount too. I think that he ha- he's going to get the high value touches. Like that's what really matters. If you're not going to see 300 touches altogether and just get like everything, then at least I need to know, are you getting the targets? Are you getting carries near the goal line? And you just hit on the targets thing. And something that I remember from looking at the college information for ETN was, so since 2018, he has 49 carries inside the five-yard line, which is the most, more than Najee Harris, which only has, who has 41. Mm -hmm. So again, people are going to, because of the Camara comp, they're going to be like, yeah, well, he's probably not going to be the goal line back. They're going to give the James Robinson. And then the whole size thing doesn't even really make any sense because just because you're bigger, doesn't mean that you should, oh yeah, well you're bigger. So we should just run you into other bigger guys. Cause that makes, you know, perfect sense that it, it doesn't, but no, ETN has been a guy that's been effective at the goal line. So yes, J- James Robinson could really be the guy that they just use kind of in between the twenties, you know, <sighs> grinding grinding things out and it's going to be etn that's going to catch the pass out of the backfield he's going to get the goal line touch i mean alvin Kamara gets a lot of goal time i mean alvin Kamara scored six touchdowns in a game like that's the ceiling for an etn type of player so yeah i totally agree people are going to obsess over the he needs to get all the touches but that's really not his skill set he's never been a guy that's going to be oh we're going to give him 25 carries a game he only had since 2018 i think he only has one game with 20 carries so I think that it's totally fine. I'll take the discount on him. And yeah, James Robinson, man, pour one out. Yeah, I would pour one out. Unfortunately, I'm recording this from our lovely CEO's office here in Cincy. So I'm going to respect <laughs> his uh, lovely carpet we got working with here. But yeah, man, I mean, you know, James RB1 son has lived long enough to become James RB3 son. You, you hate to see it. Again, we've always liked James Robinson, but it was just always a stretch to believe that a brand new coach, you know, brand new, really just theme coming with this team uh, as a whole was going to continue to give him that role that produced more touches than anyone other than Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry by the time he got hurt. And that is now where we're uh, left at. So, and the surprising news, man, like Carlos Hyde apparently is also factoring into this equation. It might be muddled to start, but you know, that's how a lot of these running back rooms are. Look at Cam Akers, look at Jonathan Taylor last year. Like it was not pretty until it really was. And that usually coincides with when the fantasy football playoffs are starting to come around with that said, Man, I think Najee Harris is the one where we're going to be looking at the week one snap rate going, my goodness, we had this guy ranked too low. I already have him as my RB16. I think that's low, man. And I see the people complaining, oh, how's anyone going to get anything done behind that Steelers offensive line? They're going to be fine, people. We act like that the running backs on Pittsburgh average like two yards per carry last year. Old man, ageist, you know, the oldest 25, 26 year old on the planet, James Conner, averaged 4.3 yards per carry last year. No, that's not a great stat for summing up a running back's ability. We understand that, but he still did it. I know the offensive line was ranked 31st in run blocking grade. It just doesn't matter if we're looking at a running back that can see upwards of 400 touches. Mike Tomlin has gone on the record saying he's a featured runner type guy. Has he just said that? No, he's done that. From 2014 and 2018, Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams, James Conner, Jalen Samuels, even Stephon Ridley's corpse in a couple of weeks, 17 games, all saw at least 17 touches per start. The last two years, there's been a funky committee system, mostly because Connor hasn't been able to consistently stay healthy. So for me, Harris was drafted to be a three-down workhorse, and we are functioning in today's NFL, which has so few three-down workhorses that, Andrew, man, like as I'm, you know, I'm trying to talk, but I can't change my ranks at the same time. I feel like by the end of this process, man, Harris is going to be knocking on that RB1 door. I agree, man. And, and look, we totally over-evaluate our 
projections of offensive line play. Like we think that, oh, well, you know, this offensive line was so bad last year that they're going to be just this bad this year. Well, there's a whole new offensive coordinator in. Like you don't know what they're going to do. We don't know who they're going to draft. There are a ton of tackles still left on the board going into the second round. Like a lot of quality talent. Tevin Jenkins is probably the top tackle for me. And he's still, he's still available on the board. So there's room for improvement and, and things tend to regress. Like just because you're last one year doesn't mean you're going to be, if they just return to be an average offensive line, like that's going to be a significant difference. And the other thing too, look, the guy catches passes. Like Le'Veon Bell, that's why he was so good in his peak with Steelers is because he was yeah. used so often in the passing game. Big Ben, okay, look, he doesn't want to get hit, man. He wants to get rid of the ball fast. How do you get rid of the ball fast? Throw it to your running back. Boom. How's your hair? So you said you had him ranked 16, right? Yep. Do you have – so who are some of the guys around him kind of so people can get perspective? Yeah, so right now we're Harris, RB16. I have him behind Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon, Chris Carson. I have him ahead of Miles Sanders, James Robinson, who's going to get a major bump here in the morning. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, <sighs> Clyde Edwards-Alaire, someone I feel like I should probably move up a little. No, bit. he's like right next. So like I'm looking okay, at mine yeah, that, too. I think, like, I think that's the good conversation. Him versus he's like right next to Edwards-Alaire for me. I have Edwards-Alaire 15 and Najee Harris 16. I'm not sure that's correct. I think that's fair. Yeah, we'll so. see. And I mean, if you know, I'm I'm still in on Chris Carson. I just think the volume is there. If we see Javante Williams or one of these day two running backs go there, he would be a big follower as well. So as things stand, Najee Harris, again, people upside RB2, and we're going to be pounding that drum more and more. Just realize, though, like, look, the only worst run blocking graded offensive line last year was Los Angeles Chargers. Are we worried about Austin Eckler? No, because he catches passes. Same idea with Najee Harris. I mean, no, could not stop reading good things about his receiving ability in the PFF draft guide and uh, definitely saw that, you know, on film as well. I mean, just making like back shoulder, you know, catches against LSU and stuff. I mean, this dude's body control is truly ridiculous with the ball in the air. A uh, couple non-draft topics for you out here, everybody. Aaron Rodgers reportedly close to a deal with the Broncos. This whole situation, man. First of all, Schefter and these guys start talking about it at like four or 5 PM. Like everyone's saying it's been going on for weeks, which means that they just waited to bring this story up right before the draft and, you know, just start making a big deal out of it. Immediately reports then come back saying, no, they're not talking right now. They're focusing on the draft, which yeah, makes sense. But Andrew, my goodness, man, I knew it wasn't paradise between Rogers and green Bay, but I didn't know we were at trade me right. Fucking now stage of things. So are you buying him going to Denver? And if so, like, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, all systems go like high-end wide receiver twos. We're going to have to completely reconfigure our freaking rankings if this happens. I mean, we remember when Peyton went to the Broncos. This is not far removed from that same exact equation. Aaron Rodgers to the Denver Broncos for 500, please. I mean, that's that's got to be, got gotta be the got answer, him, man. That's got to be the answer, dude. I, I wrote about how I thought that Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton could be like the next dynamic duo if, if Justin Fields ended up there and if Aaron Rodgers ended up there it's like lock it in man we're gonna dude that would just be absolutely like Noah Fant would would probably rank higher for like I don't know where Noah Fant would go to rank a CB top five tight end I mean Jerry Judy and Colton Sutton would be borderline I think they'd have to be top 15 guys both of them even though neither of them have really done wide receiver one season altogether just the touchdown equity would be so there it's like you talked about how unlucky they were last year, those yeah. receivers, and you just put Aaron Rodgers in. It's like, poof, all right, well, all the unlucky stuff's gone. It's all luck now. 
you know, I wasn't like we were doing the draft show and everyone had to write in our whiteboard, you know, who we thought uh, Aaron Rodgers was going to end up with. And I was the only one who just had the Packers. I'm like, you have Aaron Rodgers. How could you even consider trading this guy? Like, get these Jordan Love reports out of here. It's Aaron freaking Rodgers. But when the Broncos seriously went certain at number nine, didn't take Fields, didn't take Jones, where there's smoke, there's fire, uh, young Andrew. So I don't know, man. It's one of these uh, things where it's an awful Awful lot of, uh, you know, smoke from from, from, uh, from some seriously respected reporters. Does seem like he could be nearing that spot with the Broncos. So and he's know, only right? one. It's only Devonta Adams only has one year left on his contract. So just one more year for, all right, well, they'll trade, trade Devonta to Denver too, you know, after a couple of weeks because he's a free agent. You know, Aaron Jones keeps scoring touchdowns when he's playing number one scoring offense with Aaron Rodgers. Life might not be quite as pretty. <laughs> Otherwise, this would, of course, also be a tragic end to uh, the Drew Locke era before it even got a chance to go. But I will not bore you all with uh, that heartbreak that I'm dealing with. And Auden Take got his job taken. And Duke Johnson's <laughs> still a free agent, man. Only Cordero Patterson, Atlanta Falcons RB2, <laughs> is still holding up the hardest brand. Final point, Andrew. <laughs> Could it be a four RB esque situation in Jacksonville? Because Tim freaking Tebow has apparently decided that he is going to try to play football and be a tight end. I always kind of laugh. I know I, I didn't have a big enough uh, stage, I guess, when Tebow was kind of coming up through the league. But I remember sending off like some mean tweets back in the day, being like, "Imagine if another quarterback like was asked to play a different position and was just like, no." I don't care. I don't care if this has helped the team. I don't care if this has helped my career. I want to play quarterback. You know, Tebow obviously is not a selfish guy. He's a very good human. But it is funny, you know, just how every single thing this guy has done over the years has been portrayed in the media. And now we have people calling for a Taysom Hill-esque role in Jacksonville. Andrew, does Tim Tebow play a snap for the Jaguars in 2021, or is this just a bunch of poopla? I mean, I'm just – I hope he plays in the preseason. Get some preseason DFS action with Tim Tebow. I know he played in the preseason with the Patriots for a hot, hot second. So, I mean, it seems like they're going to try it. Urban Meyer, they have the connection there. But, I mean, it's the same thing with Carlos Hyde, man. Any other team, if you said Tim Tebow is going to tight end for any other team other than Urban freaking Meyer's team, it would be the easiest fate ever. But no, now we have to actually discuss this. I mean, look, man, they're tight. We talked about this. Their their tight end room is pretty thin. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, everyone, we're gonna end on that note. It's officially 1:10 a.m. and we're talking about Tim Tebow being the Jaguars starting <laughs> tight end. Thank you as always for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew and I will be back tomorrow night. Things will get real funky then. I'm getting my second COVID shot uh, tomorrow afternoon. So Andrew might just have to finish off that episode of when I, you know, pass out halfway through, but we'll worry about that uh, at a different time. Andrew, uh, PFF draft tracker and uh, you know, what's going on. PFF draft tracker also released fantasy fallout, kind of just breaking down right. all of the picks that were gone in round one, all the positions hit on some offensive linemen just to kind of refer to, Hey, this is good or bad. And then just mention the defensive players, because I mean, it's not great. We don't, we don't want anyone to draft defense. We would do all offense, but just hitting on everything. And seriously, people, pff.com for the draft show. I don't hate Kings of Leon, but when I watch the NFL draft, I kind of want to hear football talk. That's what you're getting over here at pff.com. And, you know, Andrew and I are biased, but I happen to think we do a pretty good job keeping things loose, keeping things fun, and always informed. He's Andrew Erickson. I'm Ian Hardis. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 